And now for something completely different. Our hosts are recording from home to bring you the same quality of shows that made Radio DePaul 2020's best college station in the nation. Listen live at RadioDePaul.com or on the Radio DePaul app. This is Radio DePaul. Chicago's College Connection. Hello everyone, my name is Zoe Paris. You are listening to Radio DePaul and this is Diary of a Mad Black Woman. A preface I will say every episode unless I forget, black people and black women are not a monolith. What I say represents me and my perspectives. <laughs> this is groundwork for conversation, not a source for everything black. Once again, welcome. Today's episode is going to be about the politicization of the black body. This is going to be kind of a deeper talk. If you want to know what I'm going to be referencing today, because I have some scholarly books um, that I'm going to be referencing, a little bit of the racial contract by Charles W. Mills. I just generally recommend it. I really enjoyed the book. Uh, And also black skin white mask by Franz Fanon. Uh, Both of these books were books that I had to read for my racial philosophy class which I believe was honors 104 so if you're in honors I definitely would recommend that class. Uh, Oh I forgot the teacher's name but he was great. Uh, One of my favorite professors that I've had so far. Uh, I really learned a lot and it helped kind of contextualize and um, help me articulate Uh, some ideas that I had already had um, in a really interesting way. Um, So uh, the racial contract is like a quick little synopsis, um, kind of springs from something called the social contract, which is delving into, how do I say, the kind of social hierarchy we live in. Um, Now the racial contract is more of a revamped version of the social contract specifically dealing with race um, and eurocentrism if you don't know what eurocentrism means it's kind of the idea of the european variety um of seeing yourself at the center of everything if that makes the most sense um some ideas that it touches on is vocabulary and how european explorers european explorers would articulate like finding other countries or land masses as discoveries you don't discover this land if there's already people in it but it's a eurocentrist idea to think so so that's one of the things that it talks about um it's a really good book if you're interested in racial theory i would definitely recommend it so there's that um and then also you can kind of use that to transition into white centralism uh Yeah, so that's awesome. What the main thing I'm going to talk about towards the beginning is black skin, white masks. Um, I think I only had to read a chunk of it. Like, we didn't read the whole book. So I don't know the entirety of what the book is about. But the part that I focused on for my paper that we focused on in class was this chapter where Fanon talks about, like, the zone of non-being. Um, And the focus on the, at least this chapter of the book, is on the black man, but just for the purpose of this conversation, I think it's important to include all black people, because this experience isn't an isolated experience with black men. And I think you can find pieces of this experience in other people of color, but I think it's the most intense with black people, Um, especially African American. I can't really, I don't think I've said this before, but I can't really speak on 
other black people's experience that aren't from America just because like those environments are entirely not entirely different but for like the majority different like I think in Britain a lot of black people in Britain are kind of like second third generation immigrants um and you know the majority of black people in America are like (laughs) generations after slavery so it was more of like a choosing to move to this new country um whether it's for refuge or for monetary gain all that immigration stuff um versus being forced into a country um and forced to assimilate to it so this idea of the zone of non-being it's this is part might be a little boring uh because it's dealing with a lot of philosophy and philosophy can get boring but i found it very interesting um so we're gonna be like kind of going through my paper a little bit just because like i think i articulated it well i gotta be on the paper so like this may not be the best articulation of the ideas that Fanon's talking about but I think I did a pretty good job it was the TA and not the professor so I'm gonna assume that if the professor graded it I would have gotten an A because I got an A on the other paper in that class so that's just me though (laughs) in the chapter that we focused on there was there was a more poetic feel to what was being described um I believe the illustration that was kind of used verbally or through words was like a black man going onto a train and like the feeling like holding onto the feeling and the transition between being a person to not being a person and when I say not being a person I don't mean like black people aren't people obviously I'm not saying that I'm saying the society (laughs) not to sound like joker but like society deciding that black people aren't people and how that kind of determines how we feel about each other and how we interact as people and that kind of deal right so the zone of non-being Fanon describes it as an extraordinarily sterile and arid region an inclined stripped bare of every essential form which a genuine new departure can emerge. Now that's a lot of hoopla, <laughs> but another way to understand that is this zone of non-being is kind of a fruitful, a once fruitful land, stripped bare and made so it can't regrow in the proper way. Um, something else that Fanon says that I think is just important to iterate is a black man is not a man. Not to, once again, not to say black men are not men. They are. It's just the societal point of view and how um, in a hierarchy, sometimes black men are not articulated as men. So the zone of non-being is kind of this disconnect between mind and body. Um, In philosophy, there's the mind-body problem, um, which deals with like, you have a consciousness and it's a whole bunch of hoopla. I'm going to try to summarize it as well as I can. <laughs> but you have your consciousness. It's directly connected to your body. And it's, it's an extension of your consciousness. And it causes you to affect the things around you. And the things around you affect you and your consciousness. What Fanon kind of compares what he calls implicit knowledge to is 
getting a cigarette, holding it up to your mouth. That direct action of like holding it in between your fingers, holding it up to your mouth, breathing in and blowing out. Whether you do it completely correct or not, it's kind of implicit knowledge. You kind of pick it up through your surroundings. So the effect that this implicit knowledge has on the black body and what he describes as the other is how we interact with each other and how kind of racism that's like under indirect racism or like systemic racism where it's like a little bit harder to see because we're so used to being like this is the definition of how things work this is the implicit knowledge that i've received if i don't notice its problems then i never will kind of deal (laughs) so the the other which i brought up like a couple seconds ago is basically not just like white people but the personification of white culture i know there's the joke that like white americans don't have culture (laughs) um which i agree with i don't think there's any culture between um white americans for the most part i guess there's like i don't know (laughs) i really don't know i'm sure there's things that they have in common or whatever but i feel like most culture comes from their heritage like their whatever country they were from or whatever religion they follow it's not distinctly because they're white but because of other things right so the other is the personification of white culture and something called the white gaze which is something i had never heard before this class but obviously if you're a woman or a guy too but if you're a woman you may have heard of the male gaze or the female gaze so it's kind of like a version of that obviously but with race so the white gaze um and if you have an understanding of the male and or female gaze you kind of get what i mean by when i say white gaze and by white gaze i kind of mean even if no one like no white person's looking directly at you or they don't have a pre set of opinions on you it's this idea of like i am in a white space and because of that i have to follow by those rules because if i don't i'll be noticed in a negative light basically um some examples lincoln park is relatively white (laughs) um and i find myself when i go out either to dinner and i'm like sitting on the patio um or i don't know just like out to the park having fun with my friends whatever and it's like specifically adults i don't i rarely feel this energy like when i'm on campus really um besides in classrooms but there's this general feeling and it's a feeling that i've found other black people have had this general feeling of I have to contain my blackness in a way so it's not noticeable. (laughs) Um, So that's, you know, a little explanation of the white gaze. Um, And the antagonists of the black man. Or, because I think this could be applied to black people in general, also the black woman and the black person uh so yeah that's the other is less of a 
group of people and more of an entity that kind of produces from this group of people not only existing but being the dominant culture and providing a set a set of rules or like mills talks about a contract that we don't necessarily sign but our signature is already on it when we're born it's just the the rules the implicit knowledge it all comes together you know (laughs) so the zone of not being being the separation between mind and body is solely created by the existence of the other um i personally described it as a clash between the black body and the other uh i actually you know what I'm pretty sure I have a solid paragraph that I think will be able to explain this um, in a articulate manner. So I'm going to try and do that. But I can make no promises that this is distinctly (laughs) uh, the idea. Um, But I think it's a good way of articulating that. The aforementioned lived experience of the black man is in the other's world where they have been objectified. The knowledge of this world leads to the black man's actions instead of the process of his consciousness. So it's almost as if the rules that are being established implicitly are taking control of the body, right? And I think this this is an older piece of text, so I feel like it applies less now, but I do think it gives some background as to why respectability politics is a thing for one um why older generations of black people have the set of morals that they do and also why we've seen the transition into the politicization of the black body so recently so the way that this crash kind of happens and this is going to be kind of a lot (laughs) but the black man is born in this zone he's not aware yet how the world perceives him. This transition into non-being is depicted using different schemas, starting with the classic body schema. Body schema, essentially, is the process that registers one one's body <laughs> in a space which is not deep enough to fully understand the mind. So, <laughs> just gonna pause here. Uh, I think I kind of explained it well enough, but I just wanna make sure everybody gets where I'm going. When I said before, when one is born, they're kind of automatically signing the racial contract. It's basically that idea that when your body exists, it's registered into a space, whether it acknowledges or fully knows what that space is or not. So this zone, people are kind of born into. It's not like they slowly become that thing. It just is because it's always existing if that makes sense with implicit knowledge in mind we have the historical racial schema this stems from the connection to one's ancestry but unlike the other the knowledge of such has been stripped and beaten out of the black person leaving the only source of this connection to be the one who took it away in the first place now this idea has a lot to do with what we can learn from one's heritage A lot of what a person is, is the people that came before them. Even if you've changed a lot before them, those actions, those events 
are kind of directly tied to who you are and the roots that you have grounded. Like that's why you can find a kind of, what's the word? Like a, a monetary deficit maybe, or a kind of gap, a wage gap. That's probably better. A wage gap between people of color, specifically black people and white people because they've had more time generally to grow those roots and build upon what they've already started we started the race extremely late and are expected to catch up now any self-evaluation connected to where the black man comes from has been poisoned this sentence deals a lot with me with how history is always written by the winners this kind of removal of critical race theory in the south is a wonderful example of that how what truly happened to these people are being or these people my people are truly being hidden they're being hidden in a way that it makes it sometimes impossible to connect with the past unless we connect with each other there was one book that i read uh, it was about the Great Migration, or the class that I took was for the Great Migration of Black people from the South into Chicago. Um, I believe the book was called The Great Migration. I don't have it on me currently. But it w- a lot of the history was told directly from Black people of the time, civil rights activists of the time. If we didn't have that connect, that resource between our community... Even recently, there would be a lot of concepts, ideas, pieces of who we are that we just wouldn't know about. An example of this is how the modern Black person heritage stops at slavery. The implicit perception of this history is negative, attacking the body schema. Quote, as a result, the body schema, attacked in several places, collapsed, giving way to an epidermal racial schema, end quote. This is what finally cuts off the connection between mind and body. The black man is no longer his consciousness, but his skin. This means whatever someone does in the skin directly reflects the whole. They are their poison history. They are what the other says they are. Consciousness is now trapped in this hell it can't crawl out of, especially because there is no other to confront. The sunken place from the movie Get Out comes to mind. I think this is a wonderful articulation of the entire idea. Kind of becoming this, just like flesh body, (laughs) doing and existing in the confines of what is allowed by the other. And as a result of this, there's this idea that the black person kind of lives in third person. They're not in complete control of their body. They exist out of their own self. Their consciousness isn't a direct controller of their body. Blah, blah, blah. So that's Fanon. That was very intense and deep. Hopefully I I explained that well. (laughs) I really hope I did. Uh, It would suck if I talked for like 20 minutes about something that I didn't explain well. So that whole idea and the importance of the body and the existence of a white space is all kind of connected to the politicization of the black body. I actually have a painting that I did for the class. I might post it on my Instagram story. Um, And I think it's a good little imagery and articulation of what I mean. Um, So if you'd like to see that, I'll probably post it 
Tuesday. So you get that idea. The politicization of the black body. That disconnect happened or happens, depending on who you ask. Personally, I think this idea existed more powerfully before in like previous generations, but it's less of a thing now because black people were able to build a community to kind of kind of dissipates the white space and the white gaze because of our connection to each other like that is our history our community and our culture is what kind of brings us back into this first person view it's less about what it means to be in a white space and more about who you are as a black person and as a person like when i walk into a class and i see a black person i'm like yeah nice i feel more comfortable in this space um I remember, so at at a certain point in time, my only black friend that I had at DePaul was Keja, who was on a previous episode. And then I went to a party, um, fun, and I saw another black girl, immediately we connected. (laughs) And the three of us connecting, we all have different backgrounds. Like, Arlesia is from the suburbs of Chicago, I'm from Florida, and Keja's an army brat. So she's lived a little bit everywhere um, in a kind of isolated experience. And the fact that we could immediately connect because there is a related experience, the black experience and how we exist as black people in predominantly white spaces. So I think this idea has kind of lessened the other, um, creating a history for ourselves, creating a community. But because it's kind of away like black people know what's up politically for the most part we know that cops and institutions don't respect us we know that if you have an ethnic ethnic name it's possible that you won't get hired somewhere we know that if you're loud you may be viewed as aggressive we know that for some people we are going to be their only definition of what it means to be black but not everyone knows that right so when it comes to understanding racism and understanding how systems push us back and how we've already been held back from the start of the history that we know It becomes a kind of political idea because we want change. And sometimes that change is a political change, like how we deal with felons, how we, if we even have police officers, train them properly. There are some training programs for police officers that are a month, like six weeks maybe. That is not enough time to be someone with a gun who patrols neighborhoods of communities that they might not even be from you know so we have this kind of implicit knowledge this institutional racism has to be changed politically so when we bring things up it's almost as if the black experience is always political but the death of black people isn't a political experience it's just something that can be changed both politically and socially something i've noticed 
over time and social media since the huge wave of Black Lives Matter protests um, last summer is how easy it is for people to not only cop allyship as a kind, a kind of like, I don't want to say clout chasing because that feels kind of aggressive, but like cop allyship as a trend and as a personality trait in the same way that people will consider like communism a popularity trait and it's like the equity and equality of my people shouldn't be a personality for someone who isn't in that community it shouldn't honestly kind of be a personality at all it's kind of a face of activism but it it shouldn't be a personality but it definitely shouldn't be a personality of someone who doesn't have any ownership or claim to being black i think it's tough i think i think going through that summer was tough especially um someone who was 18 going through covid just graduated high school or i think at that point i hadn't technically graduated yet but i finished all my tests like i was done i was graduated graduated high school graduated from i wouldn't i would argue that my high school wasn't very liberal at all i wouldn't say it was blatantly conservative no actually i could say that because we had mock trials every four years not trials like mock elections every four years um because our school for the past like eight elections (laughs) had like actually um predicted who would win and i think that's also because florida has been a good predictor of who would win that wasn't the case this past election but i've from what i remember that was the case before and trump won when i was a freshman in high school so that should kind of give you some idea of how liberal or conservative my school was the voting was pretty close though i think it was it was as close as hillary and trump but like in reverse because hillary obviously got the popular vote um but anyways that 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 summer was hard because i was really growing into what activism meant for me and i think i'm still trying to figure that out while also dealing with the fact that like people i know people i considered my friends either fully decided to take black people's lives and their problems and throw it aside or use that as a personality trait it's just like really sad to see where it's like is all i am a political figure for you to help you know like people some people talk about racism the same way they talk about climate change and not saying that like climate change isn't important but it's important as in like these are things that we are directly in control of and plants can't talk for themselves you know plants can't talk for themselves people can it's i think it's kind of hard to articulate the kind of objectification in a way of black people but as just like children that we should be helping you know it's very strange it was a very eye-opening experience for someone who is really kind of stepping into herself uh and like 
that's when I was working a lot. Um, I worked at a grocery store at the time and I was pretty self-sufficient in that. Like, obviously I didn't pay rent. I lived at home, but like I bought all my food. I bought, if I wanted anything, I bought it myself. Like I saved up money. I think I saved up like a thousand, two thousand dollars that summer. Um, so yeah, it was like, I don't know. I was, I was becoming a person and this was a very, very integral piece of why I'm the person I am today was that period of time we're seeing people's reaction to struggles that I've dealt with or people like me have dealt with. But I just hate to see, even now, I mean, like, it's only been a year, so to say even now is kind of, like, duh, even now. Not not much is going to change in a year. Not much changes in, like, a 30-year time span, <laughs> like, socially sometimes. But it's weird to see, even now, how people talk over black voices in the name of act activism i don't remember if i've talked about this in a previous episode but um hood feminism which i haven't finished reading yet because i like got it last week and i haven't had time to read kind of had a depression week last week how like allyship isn't important it's being an accomplice working directly with the people in need um and hood feminism i think her name is Mickey Kendall with an M, M-I-K-K-I, and then Kendall. Uh, Mickey Kendall was relating it to trans women and how um, she at times found herself not being an accomplice but being an ally. And what oppressed people's need isn't allyship. It's being an accomplice. Like lending a hand but not doing the job. Because like... People should be in charge of their own freedom, I think. Especially now. It's not like we're being held back in such a way that it's impossible for us to be in charge of our own freedom. Technically, we have people in power. Which, there's this idea that having people in power is how you make change. But I think it's hard because... I think it's hard because it doesn't account for the environment that this person has to go into and how that can change them. Um, I think a a good example is this whole AOC situation. Um, And I was a big AOC supporter until she voted. I forget exactly what it was. It was like giving money to do some like pro-Israel stuff. And I'll be honest, I'm pro-Palestine. And that's messed up. (laughs) That's messed up that this very liberal person who has been like, tax the rich whatever is pro-israel very disappointing but i think it's it's an example of someone who came in with the right intentions who is being affected by their environment i don't know if she necessarily changed her opinion on it because she seemed pretty pro-palestine before this but or or maybe it was for whatever reason she had to, but I don't think that's an excuse for voting positively for something that's literally killing people that do not deserve to be killed, you know, over some, like, imperialist stuff, you know, like, this is some colonizer stuff, guys, but yeah, so I think the idea of putting people like you in power isn't always the answer, because it kind of, you know what I think it is? When I was talking earlier about the zone of non-being, 
and how I think it's less of a thing now because of the black community and how we've kind of connected to each other. It's harder to connect with your community when you're separated from them because there is that lack of community at times in places of power. Like, are there like black CEO clubs? Probably. Um, but then you have like people not wanting to be associated as a black CEO. You have these people in white spaces and there's like a disconnect between them and the black community that they've wanted to help flourish in the first place sometimes to the point where it's either be in the zone of non-being or conform and sometimes that is the same thing so it's i think i think that's why but it's this is all very interesting i think this is a like a overall good talk (laughs) um something i don't know if i really discussed um earlier was how worth is determined by the other i think i think i touched on it a little bit um so this is kind of like the fetishization of the black body the emphasis on male genitalia that's weird that's truly truly weird and it's weird how it's gotten to the point where even some of us us as in black people haven't fully noticed how this is just a product of racism it's objectification to a sexual object is what it is to one of the only things that matter about you is your sexual prowess it's gross or physical whether that's the athleticism of black men or black women um the sexualization i guess well that's sexual but sexualization of the black the black body with women and their hips which are all very natural um and even if they're not natural like i don't judge bbls go do your thing girl but like you know we're seeing imitation of the black body in media and it also stems from racism and objectification you are your body separation of mind and body (laughs) and emotional um that is more like the mammy type the grounded black person the background character who helps the white person figure out their emotional trauma helps this person find themselves in some way kind of like a manic pixie dream girl but with black people (laughs) you know so our worth is kind of determined by our body and not by our like essence if or if it is by our intellect by our consciousness it's in a way that only helps the other in some way yeah so that was something i don't really remember touching on but there's that but yeah i don't know man it's sad i think like at times i talk about this with friends just like how black people are objectified how we have become a political statement in a way and how it just sucks <laughs> like there's that joke on tiktok where it's like oh you see a black kid in the hallway and it's like go you and it's like this white kid who like takes a knee or whatever it's like who are you doing that for right like who like actually who are you doing it for like i know you're saying we see you but like it's such a we- i know it's a joke i think it's just like an example of what i'm trying to say but it's so weird <laughs> it's so weird and I I think there was never 
a transition into the black body being political. It was just the black body was used as a resource. People realized that, oh, black people are people. And that moment, it be- it became a political idea. When there was a whole civil war started <laughs> over the ownership of our bodies, that's when being black became a political idea. Because how, what percentage we are of people, what we are allowed to learn, who we're allowed to associate with or hang out with, as soon as that was put in the law books, as soon as Jim Crow was a thing, that's when we became political. We've always been political entities. And we shouldn't be, because truthfully, we're not. We're people with opinions and lives and different, and even though there is that black cultural connection, we all don't exist as a monolith. It's like what I say in my intro. Black people aren't a monolith. We're not all the same. Like, uh, in a later episode, I want to do something about the idea of being an Oreo. Because I've dealt with that before, or like being a good one. So I think I'm going to talk with Keisha about that, because she kind of had that experience a little bit more than I have. Because it was never like, because I think her experience was more like, she lived in such a colorblind area that she personally didn't even really realize she was black until she was met with that face to face versus me who like always knew she was black but because of my intellect i was kind of viewed as an oreo which is super weird but that's something i want to do in a later episode i think that'd be a really fun thing to talk about but even that is like sort of political in a way it's like why are you trying to be white why are you trying to emulate this culture just so you can get through socially politically blase 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 and it's like yeah because those were the rules and just people had to straighten their hair because that was the standard <laughs> like now people wear wigs and weaves and straighten their hair and braids and cornrows and dreads because they want to <laughs> not like i'm sure there are people that do it because they want to emulate to white culture but that's just as like being forced to you know, it's it's never because they want to be white. <laughs> and not saying there's necessarily anything wrong being white. It's just, it's weird to want to be another race. Which cultural appropriation will also be an episode at some point. But yeah, man. It is, it is very sad. It is very sad. Feeling as though my existence is a political idea. But I think, I think for the most part, that's all I wanted to say about this topic. Um, sure, I'll probably drop some more additive knowledge throughout other episodes. But that's the core of what I wanted to talk about. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. As always, there's going to be some black music playing after this. I'm going to be honest, at time of recording, I hadn't <laughs> picked them out yet. So I will do that immediately after it's only gonna be like 15 or so minutes of music so it's not gonna be crazy um but yeah thank you guys so much for listening you can find me on insta at xoe.parris where i will post weekly for questions or ideas or you can find me on twitter at xoe underscore parris hope you have an amazing week and i'll see you next time